everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. Well, Australia, like all countries, has experienced rapid change over the last few years, which has altered people's expectations of government and the way they access government services. The APS has come to expect the unexpected, knowing there will be different, unanticipated and perhaps even more and difficult challenges just over the horizon. So how does the APS adapt to this evolving context? How does it anticipate what Australians will need and want 10 years from now? How does it produce a future fit workforce ready to deliver in our increasingly complex and interconnected world? And how does it do that under new leadership? Well, to answer those questions, I'm pleased to be joined today by a couple of veterans of the Australian Public Service. Andrew Podger is an honorary professor of public policy at the ANU. He spent 37 years in the Australian Public Service in a range of portfolios specialising mostly in social policy and public management. He was Secretary of the Australian Department of Health and Aged Care from 1996 to 2002 and was Public Service Commissioner from 2002 to 2004. Andrew Podger, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you very much, David. Carmel McGregor, PSM, is an adjunct professor at the University of Canberra and a private consultant. She is also a non-executive director of the Australian Institute of Human Resources, ARI, and a former vice president of IPA ACT and a former deputy public service commissioner and deputy secretary at Defence and Immigration and Citizenship. Carmel McGregor, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thanks, David. So, a new era, a new time, a new government. Andrew Podger, to you first. What should the Australian Public Service expect now that we have a new government? Well, there are a couple of things I'd start off with. Uh, the new government has made a number of statements very positive about the public service and what it expects of the public service, uh, and it's going to be relying heavily on the public service. Uh, and so from the public service end, it's got to rise to this occasion. It's got to deliver what the government wants and prove that a positive relationship with government can be made to work and can serve the government well. It's got to do this professionally, uh, but it's also, in doing that, realise that it has lost a lot of ground over the last decade or more, and it's going to have to look very carefully at how it retrieves that ground. So I want to talk a little bit more, more about that uh, later. But uh, in supporting the government of the day, it's got to do so according to its values, including being apolitical. So it does it in a way that a future Liberal government would be very much uh, supportive of. Mm. And Carmel, for you, what's what's your read on those positive comments that have been made over, uh, you know, a, well, a number of years now leading into the election and the change of government? Yeah, absolutely. I concur with everything Andrew said. I mean, it really is a it's a pretty exciting time, pretty formidable time, though, as the ambitions are high. Uh, but I think people would take a lot of heart in the confidence being given to the public service. But also there's been many internal, external commentators who would say there probably are some capability gaps and that's been 
noted even more recently in the Thodi Review and those sorts of things. But I think uh, the challenges are that, you know, right, what are we, about week three, week four of the new government, the, um, there's a transition that occurs that, you know, it's always surprised me when governments change that irrespective of what political colour they were, there's, there's a wariness, there's a trust that needs to be built, the relationships need to be struck again. That's absolutely vital so that you actually understand the nuance and, and the, the priorities that the government has articulated and, and how to turn them into action. So that that's sort of the, the skates beyond, that the pressure and the... And the can see how much has been announced in the last couple of weeks and everywhere that the government is looking, they are certainly looking to the public service amongst many to uh, have ideas, um, be solution finders and really assist to quit the government's, you know, very ambitious agenda. So just about this this time, this quite peculiar time, what advice do you have to public servants as they adjust to this new government in this new environment, what, what what advice would you give public servants? Um, listen, really listen deeply, but also do your homework on uh, you know, what the opposition brought into government, what what was different, what were the perspectives, and that all have been done, uh, you know they would have responded to the actual topics and policies in their incoming government briefs, but really establishing those relationships and building trust. You know, building on that point I made about the wariness, you've got to overcome that to build a trustful relationship and demonstrate that uh, that you can be trusted, that you will have honest, clear, you know, um, uh, positive relationships with ministers and their staffers and it's really up to the public service to, to broker that and to push it um, at all levels. And Andrew, to you, what's your advice? One of the things that I, I would be focusing very much on is the next round of corporate plans. There is a requirement under the PGPA Act to have corporate plans every year, but sometimes they are extremely important. And in a year where a new government, new ministers, for a lot of people, there'll be new secretaries, the whole gamut of situations changed, you're going to have to look very carefully at your corporate planning, engage with ministers, Make sure your corporate plan is endorsed by your minister. Talk to them, but also talk to a range of stakeholders outside, making sure that you're linking with them as well. But it's that process of ensuring that you are aligned with what the government's on about, which is way more than will be in their policy platform. There'll be a whole lot of nuances, as, as Carmel was saying, that you need to get on top of. You need to find out who do your ministers talk to? What, what are their priorities? What are, what's the way in which they think? And how do you best respond to that? Now, you, you mentioned in your opening remarks about the public service having lost ground. What do you mean by that? Well, I think there's been a series of reports which have said that the public service has lost capability. Uh, the Thodi report is the most recent, but if you go back to the Moran report of 2010, so it's a decade ago, it was talking about it. And I don't think the ground has been... Uh, recovered sufficiently yet. Indeed, I think, if anything, the service has gone backwards on a number of things. Now, there are a number of causes for that. It's, it's not, I'm not trying to point the finger purely at the, at, at the public service itself. I think there have been a range of policies, approaches under the previous government and governments before that, which have added to it. So you've had too much uh, reliance on consultants and contractors, which has diminished 
the investment in the public service itself. You've had a pay system which has not been market-based to ensure that we are attracting and retaining the skills we need. Uh, we've got uh, uh, IT contractors because we don't pay people within the service who are IT experts enough. We're not going to have them. So there's all of that to be done. Uh, we have been applying efficiency dividends for more than 20 years in ways which are supposedly about improving productivity, but in fact have been leading to reductions in quality and levels of services. So a range of things have been going on which need to be addressed. But I think above all, there's been an expectation of a transactional, if you like, support of the minister of the day, uh, trying to help the minister in the immediate concerns they have, rather than thinking long-term and looking at strategic policy and things of that sort, that has been, investment in that has been diminished. Uh, departments are not publishing what they used to publish. They're not engaging with academics and outsiders. They're not doing a lot of things which are essential for enhancing their own capability to serve the government in a real public interest way. That's a pretty grim <laughs> picture, Andrew, of the, and, and not easily solved. Uh, I wouldn't have thought that each of those uh, challenges may take years to to repair. Well, I, th I think I think there are there are some immediate things that that can be done, which the government has already said that they're interested in. So they're talking about getting rid of the staffing cap on the public service and switching resources from contractors, labour hire, consultancies into the public service though I have to say with some net savings, so there's going to be some pressures out of that. That will take a little bit of effort to work its way through, but it does open the door, uh, a first door towards uh, establishing capability. But I think the next four th things on my agenda will require some real work over the next six months or so to help the government build an agenda that they can, a package of issues that they can work on. So the four in my view are, Looking again at the Public Service Act, uh, out of the Thody report, what is the role of the Public Service Commissioner versus the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet Secretary? Who is the professional head of the service and how, how do we ensure that merit is given precedent in top appointments? We should be within that also looking at the, the values again, because I think we've undermined the importance of merit in the public service. Uh, the second area I'll be looking at would be pay and conditions. Uh, we've got a real mess. Each agency runs their own pay arrangements within strict overall limits. But it doesn't uh, lead to uh, a pay arrangement that is related to the market conditions, the labour market conditions that attracts and keeps the skills we need. And you've got each department paying the same work different rates of pay or different conditions, the transactional costs are crazy. So looking at that, look, doing a market survey and then saying how can we get there from where we are? That's going to be hard but a, a job to be done on that. The third one is about the administrative expenses budgets. Uh, now the government has retained a low level efficiency dividend but I suspect it knows that that isn't the long-term answer. It's going to have to think more carefully about the way it funds administrative expenses and when it wants to have productivity gains, it's going to have to think about investing in IT in particular to get the productivity gains. So that issue of 
how the, are the resourcing decisions made? And the final one is one which is already underway. The Prime Minister's Department was asked under the previous government to review the Members of Parliament Staff Act. And I think that review is an important review because it may help to clarify the respective roles of ministerial advisers and the public service and get a better understanding of codes of conduct, what sort of values apply and what sort of people should be the professional people working as advisers to ministers. Carmel, your views on, on what needs to be made up in terms of ground as the public service moves into this new era? Yeah, well, um, again, agree with uh, Andrew's observations. I think, though, even whilst uh, some opportunities were lost in light of the sort of findings of the 30 review and, you know, some things didn't happen, other things have occurred and I think the public service is to be credited with undertaking some of those internal reforms which are bearing fruit and just by way of example, the sort of head of professions model that we've talked about and I know Jackie Curtis would have spoken on this podcast, having been sitting on the RE board, I can see an absolute lift in capability and professionalism and that augurs well, that really positions, you know, the public service to operate in a, in a more professional... What change have you seen, um, as you say, sitting on the RE board with the yeah. head of profession around the HR? What, what are you seeing that is in, encouraging well, you? People who uh, actually understand HR and, how, and culture and organisations and how to manage a workforce actually in the roles... It's, it still occurs in various places, but, you know, if you walk past the door on the wrong day, you might end up in the head of the people <laughs> team. And now it, there's a, a, a real requirement that people have professional skills or have working towards them. So I think that... And I know that that's being rolled out in other professions. So I think that sort of thing, plus the APS Academy, all of that recognition that there is a, there is a capability issue that needs to be... Uh, remediated, that's a step in the right direction. So there are some things. The other thing that I, I do think, um, and look, I was at the, the the Prime Minister's speech and it was an IPA function when the former Prime Minister said, uh, your job's to do what, well, this isn't verbatim, your job's to do what you're told, we'll do all the thing. <laughs> COVID sort of, as and many have commented, sort of did actually bring back to the fore the experts, the sort of recognition that there is something that to be valued in, the, in, in professional expertise and, and I think there's more to be built on that. But there's also, um, when you have that as a dynamic, people do so, so that there are public servants, obedient people, I say, righto, we'll, we'll do what we're told. But really what the messages of the new government have been is that um, we want ideas and there's a lot of unleashing of discretionary effort that can be undertaken. 60% of the public service is outside Canberra. They are in communities, they know, and in particularly in service delivery, they are in touch with the very people that the government, you know, wants are our primary, well, our major clients who are the Australian public. So, it, and again, just heard the Prime Minister out in Gladstone took the whole cabinet out there. There's going to be more of that. And that's, that's a very... Um, uh, invigorating environment to work in. So I think that's where not ideas flourish and it's really to the leaders of the public service to um, inculcate that as a, a, a philosophy and an operating 
environment and uh, it, and lot, lots, lots can come of that. Now, you mentioned leadership. There's been the appointment of the new head of uh, Prime Minister and Cabinet, Professor Glyn Davis. What should be read into that? What, what should we... What's important about that appointment? Well, it... Many uh, things are important about that, but what's very heartening is that Glenn really understands the public service. He has been a former Director General in, in Queensland, but is also a very prestigious academic who's made a life sort of study of public administration and governance and those sorts of things. But equally, he was on both the uh, ahead of the game, the Terry Moore and Kevin Rudd review, and he was also on the Thodi review. So he actually knows and would probably feel quite strongly about some of the things that were recommended and, and would be alert to what progress and what success looks like. But also I think, and Andrew touched on this, um, I think we haven't really in in recent years sort of partnered as actively with academia as we could around the broad issues of public administration. I know there's those sort of deep areas of expertise in policy areas. And so I think bringing that to the fore as well. I mean, he was quite instrumental in, in ANZOG. Um, so I think... Uh, that, that Glenn's appointment is a really good one for this, you know, quite pressured environment of reform, change and and really building a close relationship with the Ministry. Mm. Andrew, your views? I couldn't agree more. Um, I think he will help uh, the government to focus on these issues around the, the role and capability of the public service. But he's also a very broad-minded person uh, his background as Vice-Chancellor of two of our top universities, uh, he's got an international reputation, he understands the policy issues and challenges that the government's going to be addressing as well. Mm. Um, I think we shouldn't expect him to devote all his time on the public service because, in a sense, the head of Prime Minister's Department is what I always think about the operational head of the service marshalling the resources of the public service to meet the policy agenda of the government of the day, of the Prime Minister and of Cabinet. And he's going to have to do that job. That's going to be his main job. But because he understands the public service, I think he'll be very keen to see a big agenda of helping the public service uh, to reform and build its capability. Uh, he will be looking, I should think, to the Public Service Commission to play a big role in that, to help him with that. Do you think it seems to be suggested, certainly the, the incoming minister um, has suggested this much larger role for the Public Service Commission. Um, what what changes do you think that you'll see in terms of that Public Service Commission? Because I think she's quite critical of the previous government and the way that they treated the uh, Public Service Commission. Well, it's gone back a long way. I mean, you may recall after the Moran report... Um, ahead of the game, that there was a change to the Public Service Act, which did strengthen the Commission, but then the government withdrew the extra resources that they had promised to give to it. Yes. So it wasn't actually able to build it up the way it had intended. But the Thody report goes a lot further than ahead of the game uh, on this. And it talks about the Public Service Commissioner being uh, the head of people, I think is the term, 
my own preference is to call it the professional head of the service, uh, thinking more about the stewardship of the service, not only to be able to work with the current government, mm. but have the capability to work for future governments down the line. Mm. And that's that, that role I believe the, the commissioner should have. So clarifying the respective role of the commissioner and the uh, head of PMNC, I think, is a really important one. But the commission needs to have the capability to do these other agenda items I've talked about. For example, they're going to have to make take the lead on what should the pay and conditions arrangement be for the public service into the future. I'm not too sure that they've got the the, the expertise at the moment mm. to do that. It's going to have to build that up to, to do that. Even thinking about uh, where uh, public sector public service employees fit in vis-a-vis contractors and consultants. Uh, you know, Paddy Goulet has written a lot about this, saying there's this uh, public service workforce which is not into the public service and we ought to be identifying it, measuring it and talking about what it does and not pretending that it's something totally separate. <laughs> so, so the Public Service Commission has got to play a wider role in those. I think it's leadership of the professions. Now, I think, as Carmel said, there's been some good developments on that. I, and, and particularly on the HR side. But I remain surprised that the HR profession is being led out of the tax office rather than the commission, which is its core business. So I think there are things that can be done to enhance the role of the commission. And Carmel, do you have a view around the commission? Uh, yeah, it, it's a small entity. It's always been sort of quite starved of resources. And I remember I was in the commission at the time when the but, you know, they were given funding and we were, I said at the time we were momentarily rich until they <laughs> took the funding away. I think they have actually worked... Like, they can't do everything themselves and the main role is actually facilitation mm. and influence, working with the big agencies. But, um, yeah, that, that pay and conditions does sit with the Commission and it's a pretty big task and even back in the head of the game when that was a recommendation out of there to try and harmonise all of that... And even the modelling we did at the time would show there was going to be several bargaining rounds before you'd ever get any complete sanity or, or into the system. Uh, so that that's a, a large piece of work. But the Commission itself, I think, uh, has, you know, just needs to work actively with the areas that have you know, greater capability and really sort of play that sort of catalyst role. Um, but I, I, it is interesting, Andrew and I were talking about this couple of days ago, um, in New Zealand, the head of the service is the public service commissioner, quite yep. quite deliberately. And the head of prime minister and cabinet does, as Andrew said, sort of runs the policy and work for the government. At the time, I did a review of a public service commission in one of the states, and uh, I became aware of this model, and I, I didn't really agree with it. But the more time has gone on and you can see where if there's not a complete focus on these issues and clout uh, around appointments and those sorts of things, it, it, you know, I think we are not as successful, say, as New Zealand around those sorts of things. So I think there's, you know, that's a big call for me to be sitting here saying that's what should happen. But I think there are models where you can look to and see that the role of the Commission can be perhaps stronger than it probably is in, in reality. One of the interesting developments under the, the new government has been the appointment of Katie Gallagher as both 
Minister for Finance and Minister for the Public Service. I think the last time that happened was in 1983 when Joe Dawkins was made Minister for Finance and Minister Responsible for the Public Service. And that was the beginning of a major era of public service and sector financial management, a whole range of reforms uh, by bringing those things together. I don't think those things need to be together for always, mm. but I think bringing them together for a while is an opportunity to look very carefully at reform of the public service and the public sector more generally. So it's no accident that this is... I don't think it's an accident. I think, no. I think the, the Prime Minister Albanese, I think, has thought this... Uh, through and has spoken to a number of the colleagues and one hopes that there will be quite a lot come out of that. Now, listen, I just do want to come back before we finish this this link between the public service and academia because both of you um, work in academia. How can that be made to be a more effective relationship such that public service uh, organisations uh, are more able uh, to draw on the expertise um, and experience and knowledge of um, uh, acad academics across Australia and indeed around the world. Andrew, to you. Well, let, let me give an example of where I, I've noted it, it work and not work uh, even more recently. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to the annual conference at the University of New South Wales, uh, their Centre of Excellence on Population Ageing. They have a uh, an annual conference on that. Uh, and at that conference, Treasury came in significant numbers and they presented at the conference their retirement income modelling, the new modelling they're doing, what assumptions they made, they exposed it all and opened up to academics to comment and, and contribute to. It was a great show, it was run extremely well. Unfortunately, there was nobody from the social services department there at all. And that to me was very surprising and disappointing. If you want to have engagement, you've got to be open. You've got to publish material. You've got to have your own research capacity, your own statistics, and then you throw it open to, to academics to engage. And, and it's, not, it's not a matter of ringing up the academic and asking what they think about something. You've got to expose and engage in detail. And I think some agencies are still doing that, but it's become rarer because ministers have been scared of things being published that might cause them trouble. We've got to get past that and get a, a genuine engagement going on. Carmel, you're... No, I don't really have anything more to add. I mean, I think that, that a, a good example is the policy research units that every department used to have or did have, and that just was a natural sort of tendency to, you know, academics wanted to be in the tent and wanted to actually help assist on issues and and and, and be, a, a, you know, a, a voice or a source. I think, uh, the, you know, going back to the sort of reliance on consultants, that they've probably been the default speed dial as opposed to the, mm. you know, the natural tendency of bringing the academ academics into the tent. Mm. So just in summary then, um, exciting times, um, busy times, um, but optimistic times? I think it's very exciting. I sort of think, you know, when you you hear uh, ministers speak and to, uh, to the public service and say they want their ideas act actively going and sitting in departments and listening to them and there's a sort of a, you know, a, there's, as Andrew said, there's a statement that the public service is, is what they want it to be performing optimally and delivering for Australians and, or, and clients more generally, but I think it's very exciting. Mm. Andrew? 
I agree. And it's also an opportunity for the public service all the way through to rise to the occasion, mm. to, to prove that what's being said about them at the moment is right, that they can do things, they can offer good ideas, expertise, research, corporate knowledge, all those things, that they have that offering to ministers to help them do their job. Well, there we have it, people. Two wise owls sitting in the, giving you the uh, the view from the top of, uh, indeed, this changing time but optimistic time and certainly to rise, the, you know, the call there really is to rise to the opportunity and, and to the challenge. So uh, uh, Andrew Podger and Carmel McGregor, thank you so much for joining us on Work With Purpose. Thank you, David. Ladies and gentlemen, Work With Purpose is a part of the GovComs podcast network, which I'm sure you'll be thrilled to know that has recently added a new program to the roster called The Gradcast, which to no one's surprise is a podcast by APS grads for APS grads. So if you are interested in the world of an APS grad, make sure you download the program. Thanks also to you, the audience, for giving us some of your most valuable asset, your time and your attention. And once again, if you can share, rate or review the program, that helps it to be found. Uh, a big thanks to Caroline Walsh and the fantastic team here at IPA for their ongoing support and also the Australian Public Service Commission, which is another great partner of Work With Purpose. And as always, a big thanks to the team at Content Group for getting the show to air each week. Thanks once again to Andrew Podger and Carmel McGregor. My name is David Pembroke. I'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.